Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. We want to encourage every person here to think about what God has for us in his word. Sometimes as we read the scriptures, uh, it's confusing. Sometimes it's difficult. And we're going to look at a passage today where there's been great controversy in the past. And so we're just going to kind of dive in and see what God has said for us. Uh, The King Forever series is about Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. It's an eight, uh, eight different lesson series, and we're number six of that series. Today we're going to be talking about what it is like to have life in the kingdom. We're going to talk about relationships of those who are in the kingdom of God. What do those look like? But before we do that, I'd like to pray together about this passage and for us. God, I stand before you just in awe of the beauty of creation. Last night, watching the sun set in the big orange uh, ball in the sky and thinking about the days before that, the beautiful sun during the day and the warmth that it gives us. And it reminds me of Revelation, where you, you think about the end and what the new heaven and the new earth will look like. And we, we realize that there's no need for the sun there because your radiance will be enough. And I pray, God, that you would impress that upon us, that you are God, we are your creation, your valued creation, and that we would step into the light that you've shared with us through the scriptures. Pray for each person here. I pray for families, for kids, for moms and dads, for husbands and wives, uh, people that have struggles in their lives, people who are looking for hope. And there's true hope in in Jesus. And I pray for each person here that that hope would be evident today. I pray these things through Christ. Amen. I'd like to begin today by reading the passage itself. This is uh, Colossians chapter 3. It actually starts in 18, but I want to back up and start with 17 and read from 17 through chapter 4, verse 1. And then we're going to go back in a little bit and kind of pick down through those uh, verses. This is what it says. Paul the Apostle is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done, And there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. 
One of the most important principles of understanding Scripture is to look at Scripture, what God has said, within the context that it lives. Okay, so in this case, we'd want to look at Colossians uh, chapter 3 in the context of everything Paul says in Colossians, but greater than that, you want to know what Paul has said as it relates to what others have said, what he said and others have said in the Scriptures. Scriptures are here for us to understand the character and for us to understand the heart of God. Some people, when they read this passage, it kind of grates against them, okay? It's kind of a controversial passage to some people. And if you're looking at it from a cultural perspective, it might seem like a hard passage, okay? It reminds me of what God has said to us through Isaiah the prophet in chapter 55, He says this, and he's speaking for for God. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The reality is this. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. However, God can still be found. He has revealed himself Uh, through the pages of Scripture. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His instincts are different than mine. And yet, God has revealed objective truth to us. We can know what's right. We can know what's true. I mentioned a minute ago context. I want to talk a little bit about the context of chapter 3 in Colossians as it fits within the book of Colossians. Paul is this master teacher, and he's exposing to us what kingdom life looks like. What does it look like to live, uh, to, to see relationships through the lens of walking with Christ? I want to start with uh, chapter one. Paul says this, he wants us to be filled in a prayer, filled with a knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So that we would walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. Christians have a different mindset than people who are not Christians. Christians have different motives. Christians understand that they have a different identity in Christ. Fritz talked about that last week. Christians desire to walk in a manner that pleases the Lord. Christians have been uh, taken away from the domain of darkness, and they've been taken away from that darkness. They're, They're part of the kingdom of the beloved Son, Jesus himself. Paul is saying that we as Christians, we don't live in that darkness anymore. We live in the light. We live differently than we did before. Kingdom life is what we live now. It's not something in the future, it's today. And what Paul is going to tell us as we go through these verses, he's going to tell us what that family life is like. In chapter 1, verse 15, we learn that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The fullness of God dwelled in Jesus in a physical sense. Kingdom living is not compromised living, but instead kingdom living allows us to step out of religion and step into the light, step into the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus himself said that uh, eternal life is equated with knowing God. God can be known, and that's what real life, that's when real life begins. Chapter 1, verse 26, he talks about the mystery that has been hidden from the ages and from generations gone by, but no more. See, the, the 
the mystery that was hidden before has now been revealed. And that mystery is simply this. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's this enormous contrast in the Bible between religion and knowing God. There's an enormous contrast between the two. One isn't just a little less than the other. It's completely and radically different. We see this at the end of chapter 2, where Paul tells us that man-made rules have the appearance of wisdom, promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severe treatment of the body. But he says this, they have no value, no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. It is impossible for us to transform our own lives by following religion. It just doesn't work that way. But if you go to the very next verse, chapter 3, it says this, we have been raised with Christ. Therefore, keep seeking the things which are above where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. There's this enormous contrast between dead, stale, old religious ideas and walking in the light of Christ. Enormous contrast. And when Paul talks in chapter 3, he's speaking from the perspective of these verses. The greatest risk to faith is not atheism. The greatest risk to faith is substitutes, something that looks like the truth, but it's just to the side. Jesus pushed back against the respected religious leaders of the day. He called their religious system teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. He called the Pharisees the blind leaders of the blind. I want you to hang on to this idea. What does it mean to have Christ in us, the hope of glory? That's the deciding factor between those who are in dead religion and those who are in genuine faith. They have Christ in them, and they know that. They have Christ in them, the hope of glory. The best way for me to explain what that is like is to give you an example. I was speaking with a woman this past week uh, who's been a believer for 85 years. She's 91 years old. She's been a believer for her whole life. She's a studier of scripture. She's a person of prayer. And she contracted COVID late last year. And she had a pretty serious case of COVID. She was in the hospital on all kinds of medications and oxygen. Then she moved to a a nursing facility where she had full-time nursing care, taking care of her and her husband. They both had it together. Then she went from there to home, and she had home health care coming in, nurses coming in every day, taking care of her. And then as she got better, then just people coming and taking care of the house. This was like like an eight-month window of time. Really, really serious uh, period of time. And, and during the early part of that, she was pretty sure that uh, this might be a fatal disease. She was really, really sick. And she talked, as we talked about this, she was talking about her experience. She said, you know, one day I was praying and I was asking God, not in a negative sense, but in a positive sense, what the purpose of this was, was for her life. So she's having this conversation with God and she's asking God, his purpose for this disease that was kind of taking over their life at the time. And she said, it wasn't an audible voice, but you know what? I knew I was going to be okay. I knew that my sickness was for a specific purpose that God had for me. 
And so she started thinking about what that purpose might be. What was God telling her in that time of sickness? Okay, Christ in you, the hope of glory. She was experiencing the voice of God speaking to her heart as she was there sick with COVID. And it dawned on her that the purpose was to share her faith with the nurses, the physical therapists, and anybody else that she would have enough strength to speak with. And so she did. She started speaking. You know, when you're really sick like that, those medical people, they hang out with you for a long time. So you might have an hour at a time with a physical therapist or with a nurse. And so she took that time to start sharing her faith with every healthcare professional and physical therapist that came into her room. And she shared the gospel with all these people. That was the purpose of her having COVID. And the interesting thing about that was, to me, it's like, she's trying to explain what this is like. She's like, well, I don't even know. I don't have words to explain. Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's what she's explaining. The Spirit of God speaking directly to her spirit, and she's understanding the purpose of her sickness, not just so that she could be comfortable and feel better about her sickness, but because of the intentionality of sharing her faith with all these healthcare workers who are in a stressed circumstance themselves. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He speaks, and we listen, and we move with him, and it makes all the difference in the world. Every single person who's a believer today was once dead in trespasses and sin, Paul tells us. But it's like Jesus took the phone book of sin that is our life, and he put it on his cross, and he nailed it there. He nailed our sins on that cross so that we're forgiven. We have righteousness in Jesus. There's peace in reconciliation with God. And that peace, our reconciliation with God, builds the bridge for us to be reconciled with others in our lives. All of this is the background leading up to the verses we're going to talk about today. He's talking to Christians. He's not giving you moral lessons for people that walk contrary to Christ. He's talking to Christians, people who have Christ in them. And he's explaining what it's like to live in the kingdom of God in terms of our relationships with other people. In the latter part of chapter 3, just before these verses, Paul talks about forgiveness. He talks about love toward other people. He talks about the peace that Christians have. He talks about Christian unity and, and thankfulness and being filled with the scripture. He talks about walking in the light of the Holy Spirit. The summary is verse 16. Whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. It's something that we just have to wrap our arms around. We have to wrap our arms around it. We are living today, Christians are living in the kingdom of Jesus. We say yes to Jesus and it changes everything. People living outside of the kingdom have a hard time understanding the verses that we're going to talk about right now. Because they're looking at it from a position that's adverse, it's contrary to what Jesus has said. But we're not talking about moral messages and life hacks to live a better life, although there's a moral lesson within what we're going to talk about. Instead, this this passage is a, a description. It's a description of what it means when Christians live in the presence of God, walking in the light of God, it changes our relationships. So let's go on to the verses. Verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. 
Now, the English is pretty clear there. It's not talking about uh, men and women in general. It's talking about husbands and wives in the marriage relationship. It's interesting to know, too, this verse is written to the wives. It's not written to the husbands, okay? It's always a problem when you read someone else's mail. (laughs) To submit means that we defer our rights. It means that we stop resisting the will of our husbands and move together. It does not mean that we're more crafty in the ways we undermine him. It does not mean either that the wife blindly follows her husband over a cliff when he has really, really bad ideas without actually talking about those things. It means instead of strong-willed leverage and, and leadership and control by whatever mechanism you control your husband, it's moving away from that self-centeredness and control and instead aligning yourselves with your husband, getting on the same page. It actually means becoming a team. You ask me, how can this be? You say, are you saying that wives should submit their wills to their husband and that by doing that you're actually saying yes to Jesus? Are you saying that? Actually, the Apostle Paul is saying that. It seems weird to me that some people think they can ignore all that God has said about our lives and still sing praises to him. Yeah, that just seems weird that people do that. The greatest act of submission I can possibly think of is, it goes back to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know the scene when Jesus prays. He prays, not my will, but you but yours be done. Um, And he knew as he was submitting his will to that of the Father that he was kicking down the first domino that leads the stack of dominoes to the cross. This kind of submission is what we see in Philippians chapter 2. Speaking of Jesus and the way he deferred his rights to the Father, it says, don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Jesus was God in the flesh, and yet he submitted himself to the will of the Father. That didn't make Jesus less. It means that Jesus was submissive to the Father. Paul compares submission of the wife to her husband as the way that Christ is, uh, that the church submits to Christ. In Ephesians 4, it says this, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. We're not talking about patronization or pretend. We're actually talking about lifting the other person up in deference to Christ. Christians don't defer to others because they deserve it. You might ask, why would I submit to my husband because he's not a believer? Well, Peter tells us that when we submit to a non-believing, to a non-believing husband, that they actually may be won not by words, but by the life, by the conduct of their wife. Submission to God plays out in submission to uh, one's husband, and it's a form of evangelism. It's actually actually a pathway to the gospel for an unbelieving husband. Now, if you're a husband, and you're prone to purposeful misinterpretation of the scripture, (laughs) Titus would suggest to us that uh, this is submission to your own husband. This is not a degradation of women. This isn't a comment to women in general. This isn't a comment to husbands in general. This is talking about the marriage relationship and the relationship between a husband and a wife. 
Paul is talking about um, submitting to one another uh, out of reverence to Christ. That's the general principle. Now, half of you are probably upset with me by now. And so, so now we're going to move to the other side of the page, and we're going to talk about husbands. And this is what Paul says. He says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh against them. Uh, Christian male leadership in the home is based on sacrificial love, words and actions that have the best interest of another person in mind. Christian male leadership in the home uh, does not mean that the husband is superior, but that God designed leadership in the home this way. Uh, Just think about Jesus submitting to the Father. It's the same kind of thing. In 1 Peter, it says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And then listen to the next line. So that your prayers may not be hindered. If a husband thinks he can manipulate, manipulate and mistreat his wife and still talk to God in prayer, Paul is saying, you are mistaken. That's how important the relationship in the, in the household is. Ephesians chapter 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, the intent here is not controlling a life, a wife for selfish reasons, but instead loving her as Jesus loved the church. Now, uh, the obvious question is, how did Jesus love the church? He gave his life for the church, okay? He gave his life for the church in submission to the will of the Father. Now, sometimes I'm going to take a little aside here and just say something to the side that I think is important to say in our culture at this time. Uh, Sometimes the question comes up about abusive relationship, and people look at these verses and think that this somehow speaks or, or justifies abusive relationship, and that is not the case at all. A person who thinks that abuse can live in the scriptures is completely mistaken about the heart of God. That is, it just never lives there at all. Abuse can never occur in a household, whether it be between spouses, it can be a man toward a woman, a woman toward a man, it can be parents towards children, and it can be all kinds of different abuse. None of that lives in consistency with the scriptures. Um, if there is abuse, um, or if there's a question about that, I would suggest this, you talk to your pastor or an elder, a family group leader, a trusted person, and figure it out. In fact, we have a biblical counseling over at Living Hope Uh, And they have counselors trained to help people with a biblical view uh, to sort things out and to help us. It's a confidential counseling service. And so if that's something that you're struggling with or looking at, um, I would suggest you get help, and all of those people uh, are willing to do that. The second part of this verse, it says, Husbands, love your wives. And then it says, Don't be harsh with them. I just want to throw out a couple ideas of what not being harsh with them might look like. Uh, for instance, no power games, no manipulation, no demands, no speaking down, no patronization, no hidden agendas. Think about this. Jesus gave everything for you, everything for you. And he's saying here, Peter, or Paul is saying, uh, give that gift to your wife. Okay, that's what he's saying. It's a gift from God. You might say, well, sometimes if you're a husband, sometimes 
my wife doesn't seem like a gift from God. <laughs> and uh, I would... <laughs> Help me, Lord. <laughs> yeah. And all I can say is mine either. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> but, but God says, what Paul is saying is, love her anyway. Love her anyway. Okay? Let me ask you some rhetorical questions. What if, husbands, you loved your wife the way Jesus loved you? What do you think would happen in your marriage? What do you think would happen if you began to pray together? What would happen, do you think... If you uh, raise your kids together as partners, what if you were partners in the gospel and turn your attention towards those around you in need? As a way, in a way of kind of historical comment, um, you have to know when Paul wrote this in the first century, women had zero rights. They were mostly looked at as property. And when Paul is writing this, uh, people didn't struggle with verse 18 about the wives. They struggled with this because the husbands were in charge. They were king. And Paul is speaking into this in such a way that the men of the day would have had huge disagreement with what he said, okay? It's historically striking, but uh, the Bible doesn't suppress women's rights. Instead, Paul is defining what it means to be one flesh. That's what he's defining here. Let's get practical. If a man is saying this, if you respect me, then I would love you. Or if a woman is saying, well, if he really loved me, then I'd respect him. Okay? Um, you might be saying, you don't know my spouse. You know how tough my circumstance is. And here's an idea. What about this? What if you chose to go first? What if you decided to do what God is calling you to do and let that family relation heal because you're following Christ. I've seen couples that live this way. Have you seen couples that live this way? There, it's an easy relationship. There's a lot of joy there. Uh, typically, there's mission in that relationship, where they're not focused on themselves and what they want, but instead, they're focusing on the kingdom of God. It makes sense to me. Okay, let's move on. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. In Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and you will find a long life in the land. This is a uh, New Testament promise, but it actually has its roots all the way back in the Old Testament. This isn't something new. This is something that God has uh, ordained from the very beginning. I'm not sure what a definition of a child is here. Uh, the definition of children varies by culture. In the Jewish sense, it might be as young as 13. I think what he's talking about is kids in the home. Okay, Kids, obey your parents in the home. Uh, in chapter, the second chapter of Luke, we learn that Jesus was submissive to his parents. So Jesus, God in the flesh, was submissive to his earthly parents. Can you imagine being Mary and telling Jesus what to do? You know? yeah, especially after the, the birth of Jesus. There's a promise associated with following God's direction, a good life. Uh, good advice for kids. Learn everything you can from your parents. Don't buck them. Have spiritual mentors in your life. Remember that parenting is hard. And when you get old enough to think about a spouse, find somebody that understands verse 18 and verse 19. Understand them yourself 
and, and make a Christian home by picking people, not that are the best looking or the most popular, but by people who actually follow God. Verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Uh, this is actually a present imperative. What that means, it's a, it's a continuing, uh, you might actually translate this, stop exasperating your children. Okay, it's a continual process. And that was probably a really pointed thing in the first century because like women, kids had no rights in the first century. So Paul is talking about something very radical here. Ephesians 6, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So instead of enduring your kids, the biblical model is to bring up kids in such a way that they love God. You know how to do that? How you bring kids up to love God? Well, the key is to love God yourself. You want to raise spiritually healthy kids? Don't be afraid to let the kids see your devotion to God in prayer and uh, reading of the Bible. Let them see that. Uh, let them see your faith in action when you share your faith with other people who are lost and far away from God. Uh, let them see you use your resources to help somebody else in need. You know, kids are smart. They understand what you laugh at. They understand the music and the lyrics of the songs you like to listen to. Um, if you want them to see Jesus, you've got to walk with Jesus because they know the real you. They live with you. They're, you're not going to trick them into doing something that you're not, that's not real for you. If you love God and you love others and you love your kids, uh, they're going to figure this out because they'll be seeing the love of Christ in their family. Think about what Jesus says about kids. Let the little children come to me. God loves kids. Yeah. Sometimes I get weary with two-year-olds, but God loves kids. <laughs> okay, verse 22, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work hardly to the Lord and not for men, knowing that of the Lord, you will receive the inheritance, eternal inheritance, as your reward, for you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Historically, the context here is talking about indentured service, uh, servants, a little different than what we might think of as slavery. Um, but you might be grasping a theme as we've gone through this little passage in Colossians. Um, and I think the theme is this, whatever your spot is in life, whether you're a husband or wife, you're a child, uh, you're a father, uh, you're a person indentured uh, as an indentured service, you might think of an employee, uh, whether you're a master, maybe an employer, Recognize this, your life is primarily lived before God, okay? But keep that in mind, your life is primarily lived before God. Don't fake commitment with those that you serve. Instead, serve them as if you're serving the Lord. That's what Paul says. Genuine efforts towards their success. This passage equates working hard for the success of others as actually working hard for God. And remember, God keeps score. Yeah, at the end, God knows it all. He keeps score. Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Rather than thinking about this verse 
and thinking about those people who have authority over me, you might want to think about it this way. At some point in life, if not now, some point, you will have authority over someone else in your life. You'll be the person in charge in some circumstance, whether that be at work or the home or some other relationship. You'll be the person in authority over other people. It's very easy to use verses like this and to push back and say, oh yeah, that bad guy and the way he treats me, he's going to get his. But in fact, maybe we should look at this and say, hey, when I'm in a person of influence, maybe I should do that in such a way that my submission to God is very, very clear. That my motives, my actions, what's really happening in my life is submission to Jesus. And it's actually a form of evangelism, how we, how we lead others. I want to make just a few kind of final comments about this passage and the kind of comparing uh, the kind of the nature of what Paul's saying here. He's talking about life in the kingdom, what it's like, you know, what are the characteristics of people that are walking in the presence of the Holy Spirit? They're walking with God. Okay, these aren't a bunch of moral rules to follow. Um, believers are marked by the presence of Christ in them, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's a supernatural relationship. It's something that's not earthly, okay? Um, they have genuine joy in that because they're being transformed by the Holy Spirit as they study Scripture, and, and they're living their life on a different plane than they were before. They're putting aside their self-leadership, their, their self-centeredness, and they're actually uh, deferring to the rights of others, okay? They're lifting others up. And if you think about the contrast here, there's, there's life in the world over here, okay? And there's life in the kingdom of God. And it's kind of crazy that sometimes we try to bring part of that life in the world over to the other side, and they're really separate. You know, there's my natural path going my own way over here, and then there's walking in step with the Holy Spirit over here. There's this wide path with lots of people on it, <clears throat> always trying to get what's theirs and trying to put others in their place and they're angry and they're this and they're that and whatever it is. And then there are those who are walking on the narrow path. They're seeking the will of Jesus and they're, they're moving that way. They're, they're saying yes to Jesus. There's a life of spiritual darkness over here, okay? And then there's a life, a real life on this side and God is inviting us into that. And Paul is telling us what it looks like when you get there. In Matthew chapter 16, I have uh, this verse. Actually, my daughter painted it on a, on, a, on a board that I have. we have up over our fireplace. But the, the gist of the verse is this. What good is it if you gain everything that this world offers, all this stuff over here that we try to hold on to? I think Fritz called them paper crowns here a couple of weeks ago. We, all this stuff that we try to hold on to. What if, what if we get all of that? And in the process of that, we lose our souls. Yeah. God is inviting us to go to the other side to walk in the light. So as I'm looking through this verse, I'm saying, man, what if people read this and they feel, man, this is, this is a stretch. This is very, very difficult to hear. I'm not sure where to start. You know, if you, as, you, as you go forward to the next verse, um, Paul says this. Maybe he recognized that, that that might be what we're thinking. He said this, continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Because uh, pray for us that the door will be open to declare the mysteries of Christ. Yeah, the solution is not guilt. It's confession, repentance, putting sin behind us, and leaning in 
to our walk with Christ. It's, it's being steadfast in prayer and thanksgiving and walking in the light. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 9.09 or 11.11. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.